You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I am your host, Eric Williams, and in this episode, we unfortunately conclude our discussions on Akira Kurosawa with the 1985 film Ron. Here once again, joining me this episode is Mr. Ben Teed. Hello, thanks so much for having me. This is the last one. I know. Like, sad. it's crazy. Sad yeah, well, well, until further notice. <laughs> That's right. Never know. <laughs> TBA. Uh, before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that this podcast is brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to DeliberateNoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. And we are also sponsored still by Audible. For you, the listeners of the Plain Label Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download along with a free 30-day trial to check them out. For this episode, our Audible recommendation is King Lear by William Mm. Shakespeare. This abridged (laughs) audiobook includes a full cast. It is only three hours, and it only retails for $18, but it could be yours today for free. And a real brief synopsis of what they said about King Lear goes like this. It's the shattering drama of isolation and loss and one of the greatest tragedies in world literature. King Lear of Britain has three daughters, the hard-headed Goneril and Regan, and the good and gentle Cordelia. He determines to divide his kingdom between them, giving the largest share to she who can say she loves him best. Lear's tragic lack of judgment and self-knowledge is paralleled by the blindness of the loyal Gloucester, who is persuaded to reject his virtuous son Edgar in favor of the villainous Edmund. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash plain label. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash plain label for your free audiobook. So that sounds somewhat similar to the film that we are about to discuss. Am I wrong, Ben? Hmm, yeah. Some of the themes there. It's a little <laughs> bit yeah. similar. The setup's <laughs> a little bit the same. But before we get into that, what are we having booze-wise? Mm. Sorry, evening? I was taking a drink of it as we were talking. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, this time, uh, I'm glad you asked, because I am going back to the Kikianga Cider Company. Ah, this was yes. bottled in 2016. Uh, it is in my home base of operations in Fort Wayne. Um, this is not their old bicorn, which is my favorite. I am trying out their seasonal bramble on. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see here. I don't know if it tells me exactly what's different about it. It looks like blackberry. There's some blackberry in it. There's a giant illustration of a blackberry on the, on the bottle. Also a, uh, city flag of Fort Wayne. Ah. Um, but, uh, yep. Uh, this is a uh, hard cider from Kikianga, a local place for me here in Indiana. Uh, and it's fantastic. We're gonna, we're gonna, uh, be drinking Kikianga until, uh, at this house until they decide not to bottle it anymore. <laughs> it is a mainstay with the team. It's a mainstay, man. So check it out if, if it's anywhere in the Midwest or they bring it around here. So, hmm. yeah, I highly recommend it. I'll have to do that. So I'm having something that is a nationwide product, I believe. Ooh. Uh, it is important in two ways for me for this discussion. It is from the Bogle Vineyards. It is an old vine Zinfandel. It's from 2015. It's a California red wine. And it says here, the little tag on the uh, label says, Immigrants imported cuttings to California more than a century ago. The fruit produces distinctive 
wines of extraordinary flavor and intensity. And it is important for two reasons for me. One, it says, and it is called Old Vine is the type, right? Old Vine mm-hmm. Zinfandel. And this, of all the movies that we've discussed from Akira Kurosawa, is about a very elderly man. So I figured that was somewhat, <laughs> yes, uh, somewhat appropriate. And then it is a red wine, and there is a lot of, <laughs> shall we say, red wine that is lost in some ways. Yes. <laughs> some some of it gets spilled all over yes, the country. Spilled all the, over the feudal Japan countryside. <laughs> specifically, the once again another person in a close-up, which has a, quite the smattering on a wall, and I was once again shocked to see so much liquid being splattered. So this is two <sighs> movies in a row where there was blood all over. And I was like, oh my goodness, like that. Yep. Shocking. So, uh, the violence, once again, understated. Yeah. Until, until it makes a point. Beautiful. Absolutely. So those are our beverages. And I think with that, we're ready to discuss our film. It is from 1985. And again, it is Ron. Yes. the IMDb plot synopsis goes like this. Japanese warlord Hidetori decides the time has come to retire and divide his fiefdom among his three sons. His eldest and middle sons, Taro and Jiro, agree with this decision and promise to support him for his remaining days. The youngest son, Saburo, disagrees with all of them, arguing that there is little likelihood the three brothers will remain united. Insulted by his son's brashness, the warlord banishes Saburo. As the warlord begins his retirement, he quickly realizes that his two eldest sons are selfish and have no intention of keeping their promises. It leads to war, and only banished Saburo 
can possibly save him. Okay. So, this is a new to us, yes? Yes, I have not seen this before. All right. And this is the first and only, as it turns out, uh, color film of Kurosawa's that we'll have discussed. So, let's start off with that. What did you think of the film in general? Just a real brief kind of your thoughts and feelings. And then how did you appreciate or not appreciate or what did you make of the fact that this was in color? It's really hard for me not to consider this a masterpiece. So if if you think, you know, if what I thought of the, of the film in general, it's an epic. It is one of those things that like, you're not going to, uh, get home on a, at 9.30 on a, on a Friday night and, and pop in your Blu-ray player and just, <laughs> no, sh- and no, just no. watch before you go to sleep. <laughs> no, this you will is not. one you should set aside the, the nearly three hours. Uh, I wouldn't say it's just, it's, uh, it's just over two and a half hours, uh, long. Um, I think at 2.42, the running time. And it is one that you, I feel like even breaking it up would be kind of a crime because it's just, you live to see through like the end of a lot of people's lives in this movie. Yeah. Um, now I don't think that it's a perfect film. Um, there are obviously some, some things that I think, um, could have been edited out, but I think for a King, this might be, as far as I know, um, this is the only King Lear adaptation I've ever uh, been a part of. In fact, it might be the first time I've been, I've been, I've introduced myself to anything having to do with King Lear. I don't think okay. I've ever read uh-huh. uh, the story before or, or have ever read the play. Um, so it might I might have been a little unfamiliar mostly with the play. I mean, I, I think so. I, I, I'm not quite certain. I, I just don't remember the, the whole ticks, but it's it seemed very familiar, like the structure mm-hmm. of the story and what would eventually happen um, to the King Lear uh uh, uh, stand in for the story. Yes. I did miss, um, Mifune. Yes. This is one of the first times where I've missed Mifune and I'm like, but I thought all the performances that in this film were amazing. Um, particularly the, the mains, but, um. Well, yes, Nakadai, the, the actor, uh, Tetsuya Nakadai, who yes. played Hidetora. And again, apologies for the pronunciations. I feel like every, it's like a disclaimer <laughs> yep. before yep. everyone. Right? <laughs> of course. Um, so he was in, he was the gunfighter, the guy that I loved so much in Yojimbo with the Johnny Depp type, uh, third arm, sort of the, you know, when he, when Yojimbo comes in and he's got a samurai sword and this guy's got a gun and he's got the kind of smarmy look on his face in the poster. Um, the main villain basically. That is him playing man Ventura. okay and so and he, he's he, he's buried under makeup so you can't really that's tell. what i thought yeah. Uh, yeah i was gonna say some of the stuff looks so i i was wondering how much makeup because it looks some of it looks so pronounced yes but i think it's very effective because mm. when you light it properly and and the way he looks it just yeah i i think i think the look of it particularly his, his look um, is extremely effective throughout mm-hmm. the film. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is too, I kind of like that I didn't, I, I'm pretty sure, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm pretty sure I'm not familiar with any King Lear stuff or read, reading of the play or anything like that, but maybe I was familiar with the story. But I think it kind of made it better because I wasn't aware of the story because it was kind of a reveal for me, mm. um, the true nature of Hidatora. Mm. Um, 
the fact that he has the past that he has and um like the bloody past it yes. it almost kind of reminds me of um this might it might be uh uh George Martin George R R Martin pulling from uh Shakespeare but it kind of reminded me of Robert Baratheon how he's gotten to a point where he has taken over the kingdoms and he has you know, oh, long that's since really been in rain, oh. and he got kind of comfortable, and he's like, "Let my son marry this woman whose castle we took over and family we killed." And this lady uh, is ultimately the person behind. Um, like, I, I think this might be one of the first. Uh, well, no, uh, Ikiro didn't have a lot of uh, um, supernaturalness mm-hmm. in it. But I was gonna say this one doesn't. This one lacks a little bit of supernatural, even for Shakespeare. There's well, not a it lot does have the blind woman who sort of foretells. Oh, you're, you're, that's correct. Yeah. So it has, kinda, a, it has a little bit. She's only in two scenes, I believe. Right. Oh man, those are effective too. Mm. But I would, I would say, like, it's kind of a nice reveal of, you know what, this guy. Uh, I feel bad for him because his sons are kind of uh, are. They're all, you know kind of disrespecting him or or rather do do they just do they respect him do they think that um spreading the the spreading his power once he kicks the bucket um should he you know give it to his three sons divided equally and um and you know he uses the great allegory of the arrow yeah uh, and of course his youngest is it, I wonder if it's his youngest I, I it might not be I don't know uh Saburo yeah, Saburo is the youngest. He okay. He breaks. He breaks them, showing them like, no, it does. No, it's these can still break. Like, yeah, you can still yeah. do it. Look, he's like, yeah. Dad, look, I can still do it. And he's but like, no, not like an annoying way. He's, he's also just showing like with brute force, you can you can really destroy this. Like, right, but and, he's and of course, yeah, he's saying you're completely missing the point of what I'm trying to tell you by breaking those. And and up to this point, I feel so I feel so bad for, um, uh. Oh gosh, what's his name again? Um, the main, the older guy. Yeah, Hidetora. Hidetora. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I, I feel bad for him. Just I'm like, oh man, well that sucks. Like you know, like your sons aren't understanding it and stuff like that. But then you come to find out later that he was a ruthless, oh yes, warlord guy and 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 whatever. And and throughout the course of the whole story, learning that he his past isn't necessarily entirely pure or clean either. Like maybe. Maybe stop and think, uh, viewers that are watching this for the first time, like, you know, it's possible he didn't, uh, come by this kingdom, uh, in the most, uh, savory of, uh, or most, um, pure way, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of killing people to get what he needed to. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I just feel like that, that's kind of a, a neat turn that is, it seems very Shakespearean, like, and the thing is, you don't see it. You don't see any. It's all talked about in as as if it's history. Well, you know, it's one of those rare instances where it where telling, not showing, is effective. Correct, right? Because they're just saying, "Well, here's what happened," and they don't. There's no flashback. There's no him as a young man massacring and murdering. And it doesn't need to. I, I feel like um, if they if they wanted to, I suppose that's fine. But I mean, it would it would kind of take you out, and it would kind of I don't know, because what's more interesting is the now. I yes. think Shakespeare and 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 Kurosawa are both smart in thinking that what's more interesting is watching 
what we perceive as a noble ruler turning corrupt or yes. turning turning insane from his corruption that's always been there that has been rotting him since he's been gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's where I, that's what I think is the key is it's always been there. We just don't know about it until it's revealed around halfway through the film or so. It also makes Lady. I was, Kata, I'm gonna. Kata, I was gonna say Kada. Kada. <laughs> yeah. It also that's... makes Lady Kada um, much more better of a villain. I think yes. because I, in some ways, if you if if you were to uh, shift perspective of the story and how you're getting the story, you could possibly see that she is in the right. I mean, well, in the right or or uh, is justified for trying to get revenge. Yes. Now, so, see, for me, she's the most interesting character in the film. Yeah. And okay. yep. I thought what I was here's here's kind of the roller coaster I went. I I was I started the movie and I knew the runtime and I set aside my time and was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. And it is a slow, epic film, and I had no problems with that. There's some of the most ridiculously good costuming i think i've ever seen mm-hmm. there's there's uh reports that all of that was hand created all of the Ooh. costuming in the in the film there's you know just the levels of extras including not only just men but horses uh specifically at the very end of the film is pretty astounding and it's kind of like all of these things that we've been talking about with kurosawa specifically with the samurai movies is sort of coming to a head where it's like, look at how I can do all of this. Check out my choreography. Look at all of this costuming. Look at the battles and the way that everything uh, works out and, and all of that. But I found some of the male characters tough to get my hands around, I think. Mm. Because at the beginning, I was like, oh, Saburo, he's kind of annoying me. Because he's not going along with dad, right? Like he's, he's the rebellious one. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, come on, guy. Just, just, just go along with what your dad, you know, is trying to tell you. He knows best. That kind of a thing, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, I'm definitely on the Lord side, Hitatora's side. Right. And so I'm like, yeah, get him out of here. Good. Good for him. And then as we go along and we start finding out that Hitatora is also not that good of a person. Because of the mistakes that he he's made, uh, and we have the sort of um, the main set piece in the middle that we'll talk about with the the flaming castle and all that. And I got to the point where I was like, "Well, so wait a minute who's my who's my lead? Who's my who's my protagonist here?" <laughs> right? Because I know, I mean, I guess the the protagonist would be Hitatora, but. I'm thinking about like who am I rooting for? Where's my interest going? And I was sort of stuck for a little while because I kind of felt, well, it can't be Saboro. He's still the rebellious, like he's the rebellious teen, is the way that I thought of him. And it can't be Jiro because he's being manipulated by Kada, the woman. Right. And so I'm like, well, he's just kind of a pawn. And Taro gets killed off pretty early. And so I'm like, okay, so I don't know where my rooting interest is. And so I kind of felt like I was getting a little bit detached. And I sort of think that that's the point. Because I I find this end to be very cynical. Because it is a Shakespearean tragedy. 
And so for those that are unfamiliar with Shakespearean tragedies, that means most people, if not everyone, is going to die. Right? That, yes. is, that is the way that it's going to happen. Comedies, they all get married. Tragedies, they all die. <laughs> and and so, so with it being a tragedy, I'm like, okay, well, some of these people are dying. And I see that, you know, the fool or uh, Kiyomi or Kiyomi, something like that. Um, um, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, it's like, almost like the court character. jester or yep. whatever guy. Yeah, the court jester. He is, you know, really emotional and having a hard time with the Hidatora sort of falling into madness. And I'm kind of like, I, I don't know if I'm buying into this as much. Like, I'm not feeling it like I did in Akiru or something. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, worrying about the characters. I'm just kind of as an observer. And I think that that's what Kurosawa, I think that's the place that he wanted me to be, was just observing, having that detachment, watching them all die, and then questioning, well, what's it all mean anyway? What's it all for anyway? This real sort of cynical down note. And of course, I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> if oh, anyone knows that, me, I mean, I was, it's I was like, gonna say, yeah. and where are you? Uh, where? where, yeah. where and so if anyone your... knows me, it's like, oh, down endings, yes. Give it, Give me more of them. <laughs> so that's, exact, that's exactly my thing. I, what, do you remember if there was a point in the story where you were um, no longer uh, uh, thinking that Hidatoro was supposed to be your protagonist or who you were supposed to be following or root, rooting for? I think it was when uh, when Kada goes to him or when they meet or when they're when she's speaking about him and she's saying, well. She's basically in the position that she's in because Hidatora had ruined her family. Yeah, and they're standing on like what looks like a wall of some sort or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the sunset, and he like slowly stands up and takes a step back. And an incredibly and he talks about shot. I burned down your castle, yes, and your father yes, and mother yes. perished. Like, yep. You know, he realizes what he's done, and you still smile at me. Yeah. And oh, like, is that, was that Kata or is that Sue that he's talking to at that moment? Oh, that might be Sue. Because he's, he basically says the same thing to both of them, if I recall. Oh, okay. See, so, yeah, that's, that, that's another probably problematic part of the film is trying to follow each storyline. Um, because if we want to break into a little bit of how, uh, how much harder it was for me to, to follow the film, uh-huh. I would say as much as I loved it, I thought it was gorgeous photography and the, and the, the sets and the, and the, the lighting and the the movement of groups, the, the like you said, all of his uh, important things that he's worked on in all the other films that he showcased is now all running on all all four or all six cylinders, or whatever mm-hmm. going on here. Yeah. Um. One of the biggest problems for this film was maybe three fourths the way in when all the brothers are starting to fight in their different factions, and yes. of course they're all represented by, um. Their colors, yes. which is of course another really important part of Ron, is the brothers are all represented by a color, uh, yellow, red, and blue. Yes, Saburo being the the youngest and his blue. blue. Yep. And then watching their troops mobilize with those colors was fascinating, but ultimately, like trying to follow it was just chaos. Mm-hmm. And so I I spent a lot of it, uh, not toned out, but what what like. Trying to engage but failing because I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be paying attention to. Meanwhile, while watching uh, the the giant uh, groups of people moving, 
watching um, Hidetori um, uh, descent into madness, mm-hmm. just slowly but surely, just becoming crazier and crazier and crazier uh, for for having for going through what he had midway through the film. Yeah, and I'll say that. So I guess I was sort of on a little bit of a roller coaster with the movie, like I was saying. I'm also in the same boat with this lead performance. So I like the beginning when he's got his sort of he's he's elderly, but he's trying to you know keep his sort of uh, regal sort of appearance and that sort of thing. And I love that you know Saburo puts the the shaded tree or puts the tree so he's got shade when he's sleeping. All that, those little touches. And so okay. at the beginning, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh, yes, I love this makeup. Like, I love the way that this is looking. And then we have the sequence where um, basically it's the, the impetus of the rest of the film where we have this temple that's on fire and we have the, I believe it's the middle brother that dies, Taro. Uh, yes, that's I think correct. that's the middle one. And uh, that's Kata's husband and he he dies and then we have everyone kind of being slaughtered around Hidetora and he everything's on fire and he walks down and he's got this sort of um, oh he's got this sort of PTSD sort of shell shock kind of look on his face he's haunted completely he, yeah, by what completely, he's seen he's completely dumbstruck it seems but there's still an hour and 40 minutes left in the movie at this point, and he <laughs> keeps that same look on his face almost the entire film. And I kind of, that kind of wore on me after a while. Oh, really? Yeah. Because okay. I was like, I was, I wrote down here, I was like, what a lead performance. I love this lead performance. The makeuping is incredible. And then after a while, I was like, okay, I'm ready for something a little bit different out of this, I guess. Like, I was just, Interesting. it was just so, so big and so like, Oh, I'm ruined kind of a look, but it was that all the time. And I was like, oh man, this is just getting too much for me. Oh wow. Yeah, I would find that midway point of the film when he is like, you know, walking out and there's all those groups like moving aside. Yes. Oh, there's a huge shot. How, how much have comic books or adventure movies or anything that we grew up on taken from this sort of scene. And I get that this is in the mid eighties. So it's not like everything was created by Kurosawa or something like that, but just the presumed dead came back. Everyone's kind of awed by him walking down slowly from a burning sort of uh, disaster of a house or whatever. And everyone sort of giving respect and being awed and giving him space and all that sort of thing. I feel like I've seen that so many times. And this was one of the most powerful versions of it that I've seen. And I was just glued when he was in there and there's flaming, the flaming arrows all around him. And then he takes that long, slow walk. And I was just absolutely transfixed by that part. It was my favorite part. It was my favorite scene in the movie. And yeah. I think it probably is one of my favorite. Uh, Kurosawa scenes yeah. I've seen yet. So it might, it, it just, it's possible that it might be one of the best scenes of a film I've seen in a long time, if yeah. not ever. So I, I dare to say that because I do think it was worth all that effort just to get those amazing shots. Mm. But I will say the performance after that, I don't, I don't think, I think maybe I was bored by what was going on with the brothers uh-huh. and, and the armies. 
for me not to be engaged. Like I, I, I was kind of disengaged from what was going on army wise and more engaged with what was going on with him, with him and, and his, fool. and his mm-hmm. slow derangement. Cause I really, the other scenes I really like, uh, particularly with him are ones where he is, uh, deranged or coming back or he can't stop that weird staring or whatever. Yeah. Um, when he's in that weird trench, uh, mm-hmm. with yeah. Kaida is, what's his name? Uh, I'm just calling him the fool. The fool, yeah. yeah. When he's with, when he's standing with him, um, it's like Koyami or whatever. Uh, like yeah. that, like in there, and he, and there's this really great shot, um, of these people standing above them on the cliff. And, and they look down into, I don't know if it's like a trench or what it was, but there was like steps. It looked like, it looked like big long steps that were leading up to a castle or they were hanging out in like ruins of the old castle that he had demolished mm-hmm. from way back when. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like, fi- he's, he's dealing with his demons at this yeah. point. So I just found that a lot more, a lot more engaging than anything about, oh, my brother's over here. Uh, trying to fight me on this, on these grounds, and yeah. I've got to move my troops over here. And should we attack? Should we not? Bring yeah, me, then, bring me Sue's head. All of that. Yeah. Now that stuff, I kind of was interested. Yeah, okay, in. good. I, yeah, <laughs> I was like that. That part, I was starting to to go. Ooh, ooh, what's happening here? And then also her kind of uh, holding him at knife point oh, to, ma- oh, to marry yes. him. And okay, that's yes. fantastic. Let's talk about that. So holding him at knife point saying, and, and this is what I loved because the women specifically there's Kata and then there's the blind woman. Uh, those are like the two main, those are the, basically the only two female characters. They have lady Sue in there, but she's not really a character. Cause I don't think I could pick her out because I don't think she was anything from like, uh, I think she was just like a wide shot all the time. Whenever lady Sue was around, because I don't think they ever had like a close up of her and out uh, through the movie, as far as I can recall. And so with Kata and her bring me the head of Sue and the whole, I'm going to hold you at knife point. I'm going to slice you a couple times. Then I'm going to lick the blood off your neck. And then they base, then they have sex after that. I was like, man, she is fucked up. Like, yeah. I like this one. I was like, this is, uh, this is, this is my kind of an actress because she is, I guess for me, a little bit more, um, assertive and a little bit more on like a revenge tale from her perspective mm-hmm. and i'm kind of like i was digging that and i, I like the fact that this uh kurogani or however you say that the the right hand man of uh her husband refuses to go uh take lady sue's head and bring it back all gwyneth paltrow style and <laughs> she you know he says no and she's like well no, no, you'll go and do it and you'll do it personally and make sure insult it because we don't want her pretty head to be disfigured when it comes back. We want to know that it's her. Yeah, we want to be able to make sure it's her and he comes back and tricks her or doesn't really trick her, but comes back and it brings was more her like something different. It making like a weird statement. Yeah, it brings her this fox head, this like fake fox head and she's pissed and, and it's a whole thing. But I just, I thought that that particular stuff with her, I just couldn't get enough of her. And which is weird because in most of these Kurosawa films, I wouldn't say that the women have had very large roles. No. And so this, she doesn't have a very big role, really. Like she doesn't have a ton of screen time, but I was just eating it up every time she was on the screen. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons her her motivation is really what I'm, is what I was after. And and it was, I, I thought she was entirely compelling and just different. She wasn't just this black and white, uh, 
villain who just wanted to be evil for the sake of evil or anything like that. There's a whole history behind it. And, like, one of the other things about um, Hidatore um, having to deal with his uh, demons, Mm -hmm. he eventually uh, is... Uh, gosh, is he saved? I forget the order of things because it, it's it's been a week or so since I've seen the film and it's not quite up to the. I'm I'm currently running it on my television right now, but <laughs> I, I, it hasn't gotten up to that point yet. But does he, after um that castle is attacked and on fire, does he end up going to, um the brother? Uh, it's like a blind brother does that the... plays a flute. Oh, it's when. Uh, the, I mean, they meet that guy that plays the flute. That's after that, yeah. Right, I and I think he is a uh, he is a relative or a, uh, a bro- the brother of one of the ladies. I want to say. Yes, that's right. And that, and so they try to protect him. Um, towards the end of the film, by taking him with them, mm-hmm. and so he has his flute and stuff like that. And I think I don't know if this is part of the play. I'd be interested in seeing if it was part of the, the the real play or whatever. But they put him on the. It's one of my favorite things about the ending, is they put him on the cliffside, or like on the top of a castle somewhere or something like that, and tell him to stay there. And 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 you know he forgot his flute, so he's got he doesn't have anything to kind of he doesn't really have what makes him him anymore. But they put him on on the on the side of the of this castle, and the lady says, "I'll be right back." Mm-hmm. You know, you stay here. And he goes, but who will protect me? What's going to keep me from falling off or whatever? And she hands him this, like, scroll with Buddha on it. Yes. Uh, and the Buddha is, is like, he just kind of holds it there, and, and it's supposed to be his protection or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now, off they go. I mean, we're getting pretty much into the end of the film here, but, like, essentially what happens is the lady is killed in, in very gory fashion, like, like yes. we talked about. Um, with, with like the blood just splashing on the wall. Like, <laughs> like crazy. Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street style. Oh, yeah. So, and of course, um, more things happen to, uh, the, uh, insane ruler who suddenly becomes not so insane anymore once he sees his son. Um, well, and he's so, he's so, uh, he's been hiding from Saburo because he's so ashamed that he's cast him out and, and that right. sort of thing. He doesn't want to see him. When the, the moment they finally make up and stuff like that, in much in Shakespeare fashion, um, it's the time to it's time for them to be off, both of yeah, them. Yeah. And so everyone is off all at once in 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 very quick fashion. And of course, my favorite part is that last scene where that guy uh, who's blind, uh, mm-hmm. who, who also just didn't he didn't seek revenge, but he he protected himself by living you know alone in like a cabin and played. Uh, you know, his, his, uh, his flute or whatever it was, his, mm-hmm. um, his instrument and, um, and never, never sought vengeance or anything like that, but eventually became, um, it, you know, the statement, the cynical statement of like, you know, the, this is the person who really needs help. Meanwhile, all these other one, all, the, all these other people who seek revenge or seek violence or seek these violent ends, um, ultimately get destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so I like the fact that, that they're showing, um, probably another casualty of the violence of this guy trapped pretty much at the top of a tower. Uh, and even his Buddha uh, scroll is, uh, has fallen because yeah. he, I think he, I think he trips or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and the Buddha scroll falls from, from 
that that great height, and they show it landing on the ground mm-hmm. and rolling open. And it's and it's such a good shot because it pulls back and it shows like the landscape and mm-hmm. this one little figure up there, um, kind of shaking almost. And it's such a I don't know it's such a uh, an interesting way to to bust through that I guess to, yeah. to, to get through uh, to kind of it, it was a I thought it was a more subtle way to hammer home the theme rather than just hit us with more violence. Sure. It's like, it's like the suggestion of he could fall or that he could die at any moment. Yeah. Well, and he could die because he's blind because he doesn't know his future. He can't see what he, you know, he doesn't know what he doesn't know, which is how we all are. Right. And so we could all, we could all fall. I'm not involved in any politics or any sort of, uh, uh, Kings taking over other Kings and kingdoms or whatever. And so in terms of, in terms of our, uh, our involvement, we are kind of the blind. We are the ones yeah. standing at the top of the tower in yeah. some ways that, you know, at any moment, any of this could fail. You know, that's why we gotta kind of, you know, not side with, uh, you know, people who want violence or whatever. Exactly. So. Well, and that's what, that's what I think is interesting about this end is we have, we have Kurosawa the audience is basically the end of a yo-yo here at the end where we have mm. this brother V brother and the one brother is just trying to find the father. And if Saburo can find the father, he'll call off his people. You know, he doesn't really want to attack, but the brother that's led by Kata, she doesn't, or he doesn't believe that he's really there just searching for the father. He thinks he's, you know, trying to attack him and, and it's all this machismo, it's all this back and forth between these two, between the one brother at least. And they find, they find each other and the father has this sort of reckoning and he is scared at first, but then he accepts kind of his son back in and they sort of come to peace and everything's going to be just fine and dandy and everything's going to work out <laughs> fine. But Shakespeare doesn't do that. And Kurosawa was not interested in changing that ending. And so, of course, Saburo dies. And Hidetora, much like anyone who has a child, has a tough time with that, right? With him dying in front of him. And so he too dies. Yeah, right? it's almost like he died of, like, like broken spirit yeah, or heart. Yeah, like or that something. was the like, thing that was keeping him going, sure. Right. And so because he looks really old at the beginning, like yes. well, the thing I, rewatching that beginning just now. Yes. Um, the frailty of him, even in the very beginning, is very interesting because they go on that boar hunt. Oh and at yeah. First, and, and during the credits, I was trying to like pay attention a little bit better at the choices they were making during those credits. And I, what I kind of loved about that was seeing how much, like it never occurred to me how much how many men they need on this hunt. How many men they need to protect Hiditora against the, against the, against it. And once again, it reminds me of, uh, Robert Baratheon where he has, he is armed to the teeth with guards. Mm. And why would he need that? And I guess I didn't see that in the opening because I obviously I didn't know the story. Yeah. But then by the end of it or by the end of the credits, it's the shot of him riding up on a boar and he's got his, his bow drawn. Or what, what, not drawn, but what is that called? I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's uh, pulled back, whatever you Pulled back, or whatever it's called. Uh, knacked, or knacked, or whatever. Uh, and he's like, he's got this like, 
deadly look on his face like he's about to and then they cut to this such ron and stuff like that mm-hmm. and it was such a good opening because it gives you a tiny bit of clues as to how uh what he's like and so but then it shows them all sitting around eating the boar and talking about the arrow that killed it and yeah. blah 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 and what and, glory should be bestowed upon hedatora for killing it right yeah and what a and what a little like uh, a cream puff of an old man who sits there and falls asleep right after the hunt. That's true. So much but so that his, his son comes over and puts the shit. Or who? Or his yeah, Saburo. No, Saburo does it. Oh, it is Saburo. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because what's interesting about that is it is he is frail. He does need help, but like Baratheon, he's not completely useless because later on he does hit. Um, he he does sneak out of a like a little bedroom window and shoot a guy from a while that's after right, he's yes. attacking the fool. Yeah, that's and right. And so he, he gets a guy, so he's still capable. Against, yeah, he's saying something against one of the brothers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to make fun of. Some oh, it's, sort it's of, when he was uh, going back and forth on his decisions, and they were saying he blows in the wind. Basically, is what the fool was saying. Oh, that that's the, right. That that's he right. blows in the wind back and forth. And he stops him. He just stops him in the middle right before he's about to kill him. Uh-huh. Man, I'm just watching the scene again of them attacking the castle. Oh, a lot of the, a lot so of the younger good. ones. And, and he, the other thing is, he's an old man. He looks frail, but he's standing up on top of the steps and these red banners are coming up to kill him. Uh-huh. And they're all backing down from him as he just walks toward, from the door. Like he's about to kick some ass. Yeah. And he draws his sword and starts fighting, but then his sword breaks. And then he like looks at it and then throws it back down at him. And like this is why I watched it, right? Yeah, it's, it's the like... power. It's the power of legend, you know. Yes. It's this guy, he's more than Hit Lord Hitatora, you know. He's no no special effects, no Darth oh, Vader, yeah. uh, Yoda flipping around. Oh my god! And then like the moment, one of the other moments that they just I just saw on screen too was, um, not only are people being killed in within the castle, but there is um uh. Uh, suicide pact where they, oh, yeah. they, they like stab, the two women stab each other with knives and then fall over. Yep. And then the, the other lady, uh, kills herself as well. Oh, like, they're doing Sabuku or whatever. Sabu- right? Uh, Sabuku, yes. It's, oh my gosh. It's, it's, honestly, it's like one of the greatest scene. Well, I'm not trying to say, oh, that's killing. That's not great. It's <laughs> just so well done and effective. And it just doesn't seem, I'm sure there's a ton to it and a lot of, coordination stuff like that but it just seems like not primitive but more effective than anything i could ever imagine nowadays yeah it's a very powerful sequence yeah it's one of those where when i think about my favorite sequences from what we've seen i think about akiru listening to music i think about different sequences from seven samurai and those movies from our first discussions. And I think about this burning temple scene. And those yep. are the ones that I think are the, the ones that are going to stick with me for a while. And, and if you're, if anything else, isn't that the point is to create something either visual or through a line or just through a feeling <laughs> that you get that sticks with somebody? Too many movies nowadays I'll watch and then just by the completely time forget, right? I'll either forget or I'm like, what happened there? Or what was the whole thing with that? And I feel like a lot of it has to do with there's not a ton of stakes. There's not a ton of, of reasons to care or giving these, these, uh, characters enough 
no, an, um, an amount of weight to their to their real. Yeah, they don't feel real. No, and I and think so, that's here's yeah. a, here's a mini rant for me. Now that we're now that we're get, sure. going yeah, down no, this please. path, so I think a lot of the issues, and this is like I realize that this is a an older an old man sort of perspective, but part of what the problem, as I see it, is is everyone has to be cool now. There's no like heartfelt sentiment in movies unless they're an independent film or unless they're going for an Oscar and some of those even feel staged. But there's everyone's got to be snarky and and kind of uh oh I'm rebelling against what's you know against the uh authority or I'm I'm rebelling against what uh most people think I should say so I'm going to say something that is for the kids that's cool for the kids and nothing has heart everything just feels put upon and manufactured and there's just not a lot of heart in movies that i see anymore and not a lot of films that like will actually personally affect me and that's when i see something like a movie like blue valentine is the first thing that comes off the top of my head where it wasn't seen by a lot of people but it's it's two actors essentially in the entire movie and it's a story about heart and it just tears me up. And it's one of those where I want to watch it maybe like once every four or five years because it's a tough sit and a tough watch, but mm-hmm. I don't ever forget that movie. And no. this is a movie that's somewhat similar to that in that I don't, I'm not going to forget this walking down the temple scene. I'm not going to forget. Just now starting. Yeah. I'm not going to forget. <laughs> that end sequence with the Buddha and the scroll and the landscape shot and the silhouette, right? Those are things that will stick with me. I'm not going to forget Akira on the swing. No, right? those are and things his, that, his last moments. Yeah, remember. yeah. Yeah. Those are things that stick with me. I, I see a lot of movies and a lot of TV and I don't remember what the hell they are a week later. You know, I love a lot of the Marvel movies, but I have a hard pressed time to remember sequences other than, you know, just, oh, it's a, it's a fight and it's cool because I grew up seeing that fight. You know, like, like I liked Civil War a lot. I think of the airport scene when they're all running at each other and that's all I remember for that movie. Because even though I grew up with those characters, it doesn't have the same sort of heart. It's entertaining as hell. And don't get me wrong. I have that movie and I will watch it more often than I'll watch Blue Valentine. But it doesn't have the same sort of um, lasting impression, which if I was a filmmaker, I would want to achieve like something like this. Right. Um, to go, to kind of go along with that, uh, back in the day when I was super obsessed with like The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Like, I well, love see, I love, <laughs> see, I love that movie, too. So I don't know if I that love goes the against Matrix what I'm saying so much. And it takes a lot of <laughs> it takes a lot of uh, uh, um what is it called? Like cues and, and, and themes from Japanese culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but when I watched, I think it was either the making of documentary or, or maybe it was the animatrix, like the, oh, yeah, the yeah. animated shorts or whatever that came with it. I want to say that there's some special feature on one of those discs that talks about Japanese culture and how much of the culture specifically 
how cool how, how you make a character cooler when they say so little or when you say less mm. about something mm. it almost like it adds to its uh legend or it almost adds to like the mood of this character like the fact that that you aren't saying anything is makes it that much better or cooler or the fact that there's so little known about something it makes that possibility so much greater and they said that 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 is a that is something that stems from Japanese culture and 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 why a, a film like why the shot in this film of him standing there on the steps and all the other guys like back away or why the bride in Kill Bill is like she she moves takes one step and all the crazy idiots like tense up like yeah. that that yeah. type of that type of shot is whereas in Deadpool Deadpool would be saying something there like yeah, he would just be, be remarking about how they're all going to crap their pants or something like that. There'd be some Which, snarky remark that would be clever and probably funny, but I would forget as soon right. as I walked Which, out. It's just not nearly as as triumphant. Or I don't I don't know how you describe how you would describe it, but yeah, you, memorable is a good way. But also just like it's just it's an image. Mm-hmm. It's an image rather than it's it's a uh, action, not words. Yeah, and and something like Deadpool. I'm not I'm not trying to throw Deadpool or even like Archer. You know the show Archer. Like they're all very snarky. They all just it's, I had a, I had a problem, uh, with both of those at first, with mm-hmm. both of those, those films or TV shows. Like, they're great, and I understand why they're great, but I, there's, there's a part of me that just feels like they're forgettable because they don't have that, that, that image, that silence, that, yeah. not silence, but you know what I mean? Like, no, it does, yeah, I get you. It doesn't have room to breathe almost. Right. Like, there's, there's a lack of, Sort of. There's almost, more being said by him standing there and all those guards getting yeah. creep like freaked out by him, than there ever will be by any of the of the jokes written to put to be put in Deadpool's mouth. Yeah, I think like, I feel. Yeah. The the more and more we watch movies, and the more and more I've I've been recording shows with this volume of uh, of uh, episodes that are coming out this year, the more I'm into filmmakers who trust the audience and i feel like in deadpool specifically there's not a lot of trust it's a no 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 i'm funny this is funny see how funny this is ben this is a fun this here's another joke well not only that they turn to the camera they break that fourth wall which is fine which i i get i get that whole thing of like winking at the audience Mm -hmm. and there is a time and place for that and i think that time and place is for deadpool And, and and you can people can derive enjoyment from that i'm not trying to say that that's wrong but you're right. I think that that it's it's probably lowest common denominator type of funny or or emotional or or responsive. You know, anyone can laugh at. It's kind of like the jump scares in in oh, like absolutely. in something like uh, the new Alien, uh, like absolutely. Alien uh, Resurrection or Covenant. Yeah, Alien Covenant. Um, anyone can jump out out of a closet and scare the crap out of me. That's just uh-huh. that is just a. Uh, you're a hundred percent going to. Get me to jump when you do that. I it works every time for me. I'm a scaredy cat. It's just what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it takes so much more to let a scene or a, a group of characters um, uh, 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 deteriorate like the way Hidatori does in this film. Yes. Or 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 watch the um, the uh, Torrance family slowly oh, deteriorate yes. over the over the winter in in The Shining. Or watch the family in The Witch 
slowly deteriorate, you know. And do you know to, to, and do you know why? No, you don't know why. They're just falling apart. No. They're just oh, in the witch, yeah. Uh, but well, and even like, in, even in the shining, like they don't specifically say, "Hey, Jack, you've got this." You know. Oh, you, you know, you hit your kid. Like yeah. we, we, you had to, you had a little trouble when you hit your kid or whatever. You know, or or oh, this hotel's uh, crazy. It's taking you over, Jack. Like it doesn't specifically spell. It doesn't any of need that out. to. Yeah. yeah, it's it's or hereditary is another. I don't want to. Oh, I haven't seen that it. yet. Ooh. I was gonna say yeah. I, I finally did catch it, but it's it's very similar in the vein of watching characters deteriorate over time, okay, and it's yes. very painful, and it builds that. It builds that moment, uh, or it, it builds to a, to a certain set of moments and stuff like that, just like it does in The Shining and stuff. Where, like, once again, there's a time and a place for those, uh, gory jump scare type of movies, and they're totally gonna make money and they're totally full of pop. But when, uh, when characters and scenes are written well, uh, you can definitely get more creep out of something like a Norman Bates. Than you would like a Freddy Krueger or Jason. Exactly. That's why so. Psycho is a classic, and those other movies are fine, but they're not a classic film. They're not. They're a movie, not a film, right? It's yeah, a, yeah. It's a thing where, from the screenwriter to the director to the producers overseeing to whoever, they have to trust the material, trust the performances, and trust that the audience is going to understand what's being said, and not just fill every single second with some kind of quip or some kind of explanation. Just let the audience figure it out. You know, I have that problem in um, in work, doing commercial work sometimes. I'll either have a client or a boss that wants to um, just, they have 30 seconds to make whatever the heck they want. And usually in the commercial, you know, the whole point is to sell. You know, yeah. the whole point is to get butts in those seats for movie makers. And so... And for movie studios, really. Movie makers might seem a little bit different. They might be more on the art side of it. But I ask the clients or I ask my boss, or you know, what do you want put in these 30 seconds? You have 30 seconds to say your message. What do you do? Now, you could either be like everyone else and just fill 30 seconds of an ad with nothing but flashy, cheap imagery and uh, loud noises and funny not so funny jokes and stuff like that. And, and it's just wall to wall, uh, information. lowest common denominator. Im- yeah. Image vomit or some of the better ones I've seen don't have any, uh, don't have any, uh, uh, words. Don't do, there's no speaking. It's just music playing. It is, uh, it, it builds for a good 30 seconds. Sometimes even the product isn't even shown. Mm. Um, it just shows the lifestyle. Like when mm-hmm. you think of, a lifestyle like a brand like Apple or when you feel like a brand like Nike or something like that. They don't have to show the product of Nike. They can just show you, oh, it's activewear or, oh, yeah. it's, it's it's shoes or something like that because they're living that lifestyle in it. And they don't have to they, – they, they, and, and someone like Nike or Apple can afford to, to be a little heady, you know, with their stuff. Yeah, when you're they're, when they're, you're that far ahead of the market, yeah, you can afford to do that. Usually. I guess that makes sense, but well, you know, I think it, of like uh, I think of Lincoln, and Lincoln's a struggling ass car company, and they had McConaughey, and he's just showing all his goods and then getting into his car and then driving away. Like they didn't have a whole lot of him spewing about how great it is. And if you come now, you can get one for free. Oh yeah. I guess yeah. it would be a little bit lower down like this and he'd be like, if it's not ready in thirty seconds, it's <laughs> free. You, you know, you or, would, or thirty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say I do think that that like 
it, it's the same with movies. Yeah. You know, a lot of movie filmmakers are like a lot of these. I'm, I'm about to get into another bit of a rant. We're going to go crazy <laughs> when I say this word, when I say this phrase called a test audience. Oh, um, where because it town. didn't, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't test well, so we took oh, it out. And, um, test. And like, it, it sucks because, yes, it didn't test well, but then you have, but then you're on a tight schedule, a tight budget to quote unquote make it work. Mm. And so it's really hard to stuff whatever you need to go in there rather than trusting your filmmaker. You know, I, I imagine scenes like like I imagine every single Star Wars film has to get tested. Yeah. I imagine every single Pixar, Disney, whatever has to get tested. You know, I'm, I imagine like I imagine more movies than not get get get. Well, uh, let me ask tested. you this. Let me ask you this. One of the one of the movies that I enjoyed quite a bit from last year, I believe it was. Do you think Get Out tested well? <sighs> no, I don't think it did either. I think, I think that's probably I think a good test, sign. I think it was probably pretty mediocre in the testing. Now I could be wrong, but my impression of what the testing is comes from um, the uh, oh crap! It was a it was a documentary about how films get rated, and the majority oh, yeah. of the people who rate and test are up middle upper class white women that are a little older and retired men. And they're all white, comfortable people. So a film like Get Out that's a little bit more challenging, that talks about race a little bit more, <laughs> that's a little bit off the beaten path. Well, that makes me uncomfortable. Didn't, oh, ooh, I don't like this. <laughs> this is talking about white people not being good. We don't want that, do we, Ben? No. You know? And so, <laughs> and so that's yes, the sort do. of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's the sort of thing that is upsetting. Because it's like, well, it didn't test well according to who? The cinema score was bad, according to who? Right? It's a it's an R rating. Who says that? Oh, a bunch of old white people. Okay. Right. And I, I can't believe that we got to this point when we're talking about Ron, which is <laughs> no, I know, I know, but like twenty five year old. Right. We're, we're getting movie. we're getting into a, a a place where it we're kind of complaining about, but this is like, but for Ron specifically, it's specifically a place coming in a in a time where, um. He, obviously he has a catalog of oh yeah of films and stuff like that so it's just sure. i'm sure they just i'm sure to to a certain degree now he if he were here today and he heard us talking about this he might say you know oh i wouldn't be so sure mm-hmm. you know Could that be. that but i i would think at this point in his career when he's so close to you know finishing out with all these other strong uh films in the late 80s and 90s I would think that maybe he would have the ability to have a, a blank check and from a studio and just be like, go nuts, like yeah. make, make the biggest epic you possibly can. And it certainly shows here, but I mean, I'm sure there were moments, I mean, and maybe this is, maybe it's different, uh, uh, in Japanese, uh, filmmaking, uh, studio, like with Toho and, and I think this one is, I don't remember the. Oh yeah. I did, it was a different company. I it wasn't that. Toho. But I, I wonder if it, if it's just different in general for um, it's actually uh, Nippon Herald Films okay. and Gr- uh, Greenwich Film Productions. So, um, but I, I wonder if it's if it's similar at all to uh, what oops, what we normally do uh, over here in America. Because even by '85, I'm sure there was 
there was testing and there was mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of stuff like and, and we already had breaking the fourth wall and, and all sorts of like you know common denominator. I mean we all we've always had common denominator films, crowd pleasers. Mm-hmm. Oh, stuff absolutely, like that. yeah, absolutely. But these types of films only come around once in a while from e- extremely uh, you know astounding directors, and that's kind of why I, I I hold it up so high. That's why kind of why I call it a masterpiece is because the fact that he's able to convince this many people and build this build this story and build this epic to where it feels in some ways real like he's made he's personified the classic shakespearean story mm. mm-hmm. it but but trans once again translates it perfectly into a feudal japan mm-hmm. type type setting it's it's translated so well and and it and it fits so perfectly that I can't imagine it not being anything else. Yeah. Well, I, I, I really enjoyed the film. I think that there's a couple of parts that are a little, that sag a little bit for me that I wasn't quite as invested as I could have been. And I don't know if maybe on a repeat viewing, I would come to appreciate those more. Maybe I was just like, all right, I let's, you know, knowing, knowing how, uh, the film was going to end just with it being a tragedy. I was kind of like, all right, let's, let's get going a little bit here. You know, let's get, I know the King Lear stuff. Let's just get to the end a little bit. But so I don't know if maybe I felt a little bit of uh, impatience with not being too accustomed to the three hour film. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I mean, I should with, with the Avengers movies and the rest of the Marvel movies being at least two and a half hours, right? <laughs> What's funny is, uh, the very beginning when we, when you talked about the sponsor Audible, uh, you can listen to the, the, the play in three hours. <laughs> Or you can save yourself twenty minutes. And yeah, watch, watch the, the film. movie. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think ultimately where I land is I really enjoyed the film. I really like that it has you asking questions about kind of what does it all mean? What are we doing all this for? Like our daily drama. What is it amounting to? Like why are we bothering with all of this? Um, I I like that. I like those sort of messages that it leaves. I think the visuals are unparalleled with Kurosawa's work. I know that he created different things and was the first to do this and, and pioneered that. But I think this is not only because it's in color, but I think that this is an extremely beautiful film just to look at with the colors and the way that everything's framed and just the locations that they were able to use. I also want to say that we didn't mention that Ron is uh, Japanese for chaos. And so it's not yes. like I went for a run or I ran yesterday, uh, yeah. right? Ran. It is R A N, but it's yeah. Ron meaning cha- meaning chaos in in Japanese. Uh, so I wanted to make sure and mention that. But but yeah, I I really enjoyed that. I'm 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 hard pressed to say which one is my favorite of the ones that we've done in the second go round. Uh, but this is probably pretty close up there. It's it's probably one or two. Gosh, yeah, I think so. It's got to be one or two for me as well in all the films that we've done. I just like how classic Rashomon is. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like the classic story of of uh, Seven Samurai. Ikiru stands out because it's just a completely different setting. Yeah, Ikiru. I would like to someday visit High and Low. Okay. Um, because I know that that takes place in in a more uh, modern. Uh, uh, office looking setting or something like that. Like he, it's, it's Mifune in like a, a business suit and, and hat and fedora and like, mm. you know, and all that. So I, I'd like to give that a look someday. 
but for the most part, part like Kagemusha, um, yeah, dream, Kagemusha and Dreams are the two I think of the ones that we've missed. I think those those two in High and Low are the three probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then of course some of his earlier films uh, that you can get on the like, Criterion Collections or get on Filmstruck or something like that. Those are uh, a lot of those happen to be. Um, it's like shorter films that, that are also dealing with some surprisingly for being much shorter, uh, films still dealing in technically kind of the same, uh, subject matter. Like what does it all mean? And you know, you when your past comes to haunt you and, and all sorts of, all sorts of stuff like that. Like, um, and that's kind of why I, I guess I'm kind of putting a cap on Kurosawa here by kind sure, of describing his films this yeah, way, absolutely. but like if anything, coming out the other end of these, what eight films we watched? Yeah, like, something like that. I what, what, so we have, um, oh gosh, well, Rashomon, Rashomon, Seven Samurai, Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, and Yojimbo, Sanjoro, Hidden Fortress, Throne Hidden of Fortress, Blood. Hidden Fortress—that's the one I couldn't think of. Uh, Man, doesn't doesn't this look so much more complicated than something like Hidden Fortress? Like Rand oh, yeah. is is like. Is like a if okay, if this is a fighter jet, Ran is a, uh, Ron or Ran or is a fighter jet, then uh-huh. like like Hidden Fortress is like a, like a, almost like a paper airplane or something. Yeah, it really is yeah. because it's so uh, fantastical. It's a fairy tale, and it's it's not even like it do, it it has weight, but it doesn't have nearly the the world ending cynical weight uh, that that uh, a Ran does. So right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but yeah, we, we probably, we probably uh, did eight or nine total, I think. Yeah, man. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna obviously continue on my own, but like, this was such a good introduction for me to do it in the, in the order that we did. Yeah. And, and like the way that this, that this all played out. And we um, gave it a, about a year break or so before coming back to. Yeah, that's right. But, but that was nice because spacing them out like making all of this homework too and this is for listeners as well i just feel like trying to just sit down and just bash through a ton of these at a time is has got to be hard because Mm. you it's like trying to eat like a seven course meat seven seven course meals in a row Mm. you know it's like there's so much to that to it and and you're just not going to be able to fit it all into your brain at once i just feel like you need to have that space much like audiences did back then, you know, and, and was able to follow along and whatever. But what I did love about the, how we decided to do this was seeing the progression of a director, watching him go through and kind of fixate on certain things and, and, and master the craft. Like he just get, kept getting better and better and better with each, with each film, even though each one of them had, you know, I'm just kind of glad we watched him in the order that we did. Yeah. I in, think in, in order of release or whatever. So. Yeah, I think we I think we did a nice job of picking out the sort of the hits and a couple of the ones that were, uh, you know, we we obviously got quite a few samurai films and then we got uh, Akiru that was a little bit different and I think that that was good. I think that we I think that you know let's pat ourselves on the back there, Ben. I think we did a nice <laughs> job. Because yeah, it's I, a world I, cinema. Yeah, because I think it's I think it's a difficult topic to go through. And talk about Akira Kurosawa because as, as world renowned and as famous as he is and, and, uh, you know, as legendary as his movies are, that's tough to sort of chew into because it's a, it's a big body of work and it's influenced all these other people and to just sit and try to bring something 
bring our own perspectives to it is uh it can be daunting i think yeah we are we are american film watchers who are usually and normally used to a certain type of film that you know interests us and stuff like that and to break out of that to pretty much i mean it's not it's not that hard to to know or or hear about Akira kurosawa and hear everyone else place him in like the pantheon of amazing filmmakers uh, that ever lived mm-hmm. but but also just like you said to get started on that to just be like all right i'm going to give that a shot or i'm going to i'm about to just jump on into it is not an easy task and then also knowing where do i start you know and 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 like you know we have a full body of work you know from from his beginning of his uh filmmaking life to the end to to blast through and and i think we did i think we did right by choosing the right ones like to go through to kind of showcase you know there's some there's some that i'm obviously i'm i'm gonna be picking up you know maybe even this month because of the criterion sale whatever but you know like red beard and all you know every it's just so many of them so stray dog drunken angel well and i will say that my appreciation for the films wouldn't be as great if i was just watching them on my own that's true yes that's a hundred percent true too it's it's a it's so much better when it's shared when mm-hmm. it's a shared experience yeah. we're able to talk this way that's totally the hundred percent of the reason why i think you even do this show is the Absolutely. reason why i'd be doing this show yeah. is because we're we're kind of going through it together and studying it together and just kind of go, going let's see what this is about and getting to the end of it and and ultimately just man like man just the secure guy's pretty good. Yeah, he's all right. I think I, I think he's gonna go places. Yeah, people <laughs> might want to check him out. You know, <laughs> I'm sure no one's uh, heard of him, but if you have, yeah, no, yeah. they probably haven't. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, anything else about Ron or uh, Akira Kurosawa before we finally wrap up? This I mean, if director? you're if you're this far into the show and you haven't seen it, you're crazy. Um, go ahead. I mean. You might as well at this point, having having sat through maybe just under an hour of talking of us talking about this, um, you might as well just put set aside the two and a, two and a half two hour forty minutes just to watch this film. I mean, why not, right? Yeah, why so, not? Why not? <laughs> um, just make it a but, smooth like four hours total of us talking yeah. and what you watching the movie. Yeah, just pop this on at the end. Yeah, because we're looking about, yeah, we're looking at probably about a buck, a buck ten or so. Okay, yeah. Mm. So, so we're in there. But yeah, no, I mean, that's, thank you, first of all, for having me on for this whole thing. Like, this whole Kurosawa, like, extravaganza. And it feels like, it does kind of feel like a graduation. It does. It does. We have, we have some (laughs) film, film watching cred now Mm -hmm. that, that we've even seen these films and have discussed them all at length. Like and, there, it does feel like an accomplishment. And you know, I think we bring this up almost every episode, or at least uh, once at the conclusion of each of our directors. But I, I really enjoy making sure that Ben has to watch challenging directors. Yeah. We're <laughs> we're not doing McGee or Brett Ratner or Michael Bay. You oh, know, man. we're doing we're doing films like you know the Coen Brothers. We're doing. Yeah. You know, we're doing all my favorites pretty yeah. much. We're doing Kubrick. Kubrick. We, we've done, uh, what else have we done? Kubrick, Cohen, and, uh, that's basically it for directors. I feel like, we, yeah, I feel like for directors. Because stuff, we yeah. did Ryan Johnson's Brick and we've done some other movies. Oh, yes. Yeah. So with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up and then we'll talk about Please. who our next. 
director is going to be that you and I are going to talk about. So if you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle's at plainlabelpod, where you can follow me. I'm at ericwilliams79. You could check us out over at Facebook or Instagram. You could just look for the search term Plain Label Podcast or the account Plain Label Podcast, and you'll find us over there. Say that you wanted to help us out a little bit. You could check out our show notes, and there you're going to find the link to our Amazon wish list or our Audible link. And again, you could get that King Lear recording, which is just slightly over the movie runtime of Ron. <laughs> just You could get it for free just by signing up. So I should thank Ben once again for coming on. And before we talk about our next director, if people wanted to hear more about, more from you or just about Mr. Benjamin Teed or get in touch with you, where could they do that? The best place to do that, and I've been a lot more active lately. You have. Is, is uh, on Twitter, at Ben Teed. I got very lucky I was able to use my name. And I, I post all my letterboxed uh, yes. uh, movies and whatnot, what I watch. And uh, and I've been currently going through a lot of the Universal Monster movies, the classic Universals, yes. um, and, and have been loving them. Uh, so uh, that's kind of the best place to see and kind of in direct message me if anyone has any questions or comments about about you know these shows and and about anything Kurosawa because I'd, I'd love to keep talking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also I, I'll at some point be, uh, revisiting the rest of the, the rest of his filmography at some point. Like I, I just, that's, I gotta complete it. I got, I, like, I feel this compulsion when I super love a director, I gotta run through, like Kubrick is another one that I haven't seen all of his stuff. You know, he has a, he has a, a handful of movies, but that will be what I, you know, what I do. So if, if, if people want to continue looking at that stuff, just find me there. Cause that's, I'm not really going to change from that anytime soon. <laughs> so there you go. Well, our next director is not Stanley Kubrick. We're no. not finishing out the Coens. No. We are talking about <laughs> the films of Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson. So you can check out Ben and I in a very short time for, once again, a look at the films directed by Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson.